This is episode 74 with Nick Pags. Welcome to The Athletic Mindset. I'm your host, Corey Camp, former Division I swimmer, forever athlete, and personal performance coach. Today, I sit down with Nick Pags, a former collegiate soccer player turned coach and motivational speaker. I've gotten to know Nick well over the past year here, and each conversation with him has me growing beyond what I thought was possible. Today's conversation is no different, and I know you'll be able to take away something tangible to work on from our talk. We dive into how to persevere when you go for your dreams only to be told no, how to approach life with a true growth mindset, and how to balance being selfless with staying firm to what you believe in. Without further ado, please welcome on a dear friend and my own coach, Nick. Nick freaking Pags, welcome to the Athletic Mindset Podcast. I'm just mind blown that I have only, it hasn't even been a year since I've been introduced to you. It's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> and we've spent a year's worth of time on Zoom together, it seems. So welcome. You're coming in live from Sao Paulo, Brazil. Sao Paulo, ladies and gentlemen. And my middle name is not actually freaking, although it sounded like it with that <laughs> intro, but just Nick Pags. <laughs> from now Sao Paulo, Brazil. Edward, you might have to legally change it just with the energy you bring. I'm excited to <laughs> unpack your story and just the way you show up because it's impacted me. I've seen it firsthand in my own life, in people around me's lives, and you know what you do, man. So give us a little bit of background, soccer player through and through. How did you get involved in soccer of all sports? Yep. So my dad is a huge soccer fan. Cool fact about my family is that we've been to every World Cup. My dad's been to every World Cup since 84, I think was the year. I might be off by two years. I don't remember, but it's like 84. And then I started going to World Cups in 2006 in Germany. We are Italian-American family. My last, my full last name is Paganelli. So we are big Italian soccer fans. And we were at the final in Brazil when Zidane headbutted Matarazzi in the stadium in Berlin and Italy won the World Cup. So it was, that was one of the best days of my entire life. So we were all there, all six of us for that World Cup. And then we've been to, I've been to every World Cup since with my dad. So it was 2010 with South Africa, 2014 Brazil, 2018 Russia, and then Qatar is next. So we've got to figure out that one. But yeah, we're huge soccer fans. My dad grew up playing. He played professional in Salamanca, Spain, and then played a stint for the national team, which is not like we know it mm. today. It wasn't like all the glory and like, wow, amazing. It's a little less like hyped up than that is how he explains it to me. Yeah, he played a very short time with with them and he broke his back when he was in his early 20s and then that was kind of the end of it but growing up he just he introduced me to the sport i fell in love with it i fell in love with the passion of it shocker i'm i love passionate things but there's something about soccer like no other sport that i've experienced the whole brazilian joga bonito like all about loving the game and it just being something that is almost like music that everybody can connect with. That's what sport is in general, but soccer specifically. So I've always loved the humanness of soccer. Even when I was in Brazil in 2006, I was in eighth grade going into ninth grade. And I remember these two German kids in the park were playing soccer. And, and it was the first time I really experienced 
what soccer can do for connection because I'd played my whole life and like, I didn't know who these kids were. They couldn't speak a lick of English. I couldn't speak a lick of German. I'm in ninth grade or going into ninth grade. And I looked at this kid and our eyes met and it was just this understanding of like, let's play. Like we don't need to speak. We just need to feel the ball. Let's go. And we had a great like family game in the park and it was just the best experience. And I realized that soccer is a universal language, like for real in that moment. So I think I've always been super passionate about it, but I love the humanness of the sport and the love that goes into playing soccer. Beautiful. I thought I knew you well, and now I find out these stories. It's uh, surprise. Always evolving. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I, I love that, man. I, that's really, I think what this podcast is about is we're able to bridge these gaps that are on a surface level there, but in reality, we're able to bridge them through sport, through movement, through these intangible things. I want to talk all things mindset because you're a mindset guru, coach, master, whatever you want to call it. What was your soccer mindset going into college? Because we've talked at length about what that recruiting process was like and all that. How did it shift throughout that whole experience for you? Yeah, I got a pretty funky and fun story with the soccer thing. But to answer your question, the mentality going in was that I thought I was hot shit. Mm. And I kind of was, honestly. Like, I, I was really good at soccer. I wasn't like God's gift to the earth, but I was good. I was a a striker and I played up top and I was a, a stronger than most kind of guy at that point. I was still like, I mean, if you look at pictures of me, it's hilarious. I was this little scrawny dude. But on a soccer field, most of the guys are tiny and fast. That's the guys who play soccer and then the defenders sit in the back. And then every once in a while you get this big, strong striker. And that was kind of my play. Although I, I loved playing forward. My best position was in the back, right? Cause I was one of those tougher guys and I was just kind of crushing people back there, but going into college, I had played most of my ball with in high school. I was like the center mid guy, the center mid guy in soccer is just the, He's the guy who runs the field, number 10. He just runs the show. And that was kind of my position in high school ball because high school ball is not quite as intense. Although we played in a Catholic league that was pretty legit. Like we played some really high level guys who played at some sweet division one school. So that was fun because I got to kind of play wherever I wanted there and be the captain of the team and kind of run the show. But then my club ball was played with this group of guys that would change every single week because except for like the core, maybe eight to 10 of us because the coach was the most psychotic mofo on the planet. I mean, he's got to be in jail somewhere like, and I will, I can't really explain and I won't take, I could spend the hour here just talking about that. He was psycho. He was wanted in Israel, like by the law wanted, he was wanted in Texas for like, I don't know. He burnt down some, I don't know. He was a psycho. He, he was an absolute psycho. So this is the guy who's taking care of everybody's kids during trainings. Right. And he had no ability to like control the humanness of the sport. He just knew train, 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 scream, scream, scream. And he actually knew the game pretty well, but to give you perspective on what practices would look like, we would show up to the field. Didn't matter the temperature. Many times it was like, you know, in the single digits degrees. And we would show up to practice and he'd make us run without a warm up two miles in under 12 minutes as a warm up in high school and younger for some of these kids. 
which is not crazy. It's a six minute mile, right? For a soccer player, but to do it without a warm up right to the start. And if you didn't do it, you had to do it again and you couldn't stop until you did it. Obviously you're not going to beat it the second time if you didn't the first. So you'd end up just running all practice while everybody else was practicing. He would drive in his car and drive next to you and scream and make fun of you and curse at you and whatever. And the two miles was probably not even two miles. It was like this windy road. It was psycho. We would run to these hills of local elementary schools in the snow up to our knees and have to carry someone up hills on our back. And like we weren't even wearing cleats. We were wearing running shoes in snow. Like you can't carry someone up a hill in snow. Like just imagine that. It was psychotic. And what he did was meant, it wasn't like some ingenious plan. He was just kind of a psycho. But what he did was he broke us down. He completely demolished us. So to answer your question, long form brought to the point here. When I came into college ball, I thought I was amazing because I had trained like nobody else had trained. Not because I was the best player, but I was just, I would kill anybody for a win. I had been through so much with this psycho and so much mental trauma with him that it was just like, bring it on. Nobody can mess with me anymore. So that was kind of how I came into college ball. Dude, I love that. My high school training group was intense, not to quite that level, but I remember doing some pretty crazy stuff. And do you think that played a role in hindering your development? Because obviously it, it hardened you, like it made you this badass player. But do you think any part of you could have been better if there was more space for you to just like enjoy yeah. the game? Yeah, I hear you. I, 100%. My high school coach was one of the best coaches I ever, probably the best coach I ever had. He's an amazing guy, just a great person, not a phenomenal soccer head. He was good, but just a great person. And I work better with that. I work better personally when people are like on my side telling me like, yo, you got this, believe in yourself type of thing. I just work better with that. Although what I did learn from the psycho was that he would, he would break me down mentally and emotionally so much. And we need that, man. Like we need that as human beings. If every day you went, you fall down, go boom when you're a little kid and mommy ran over and picked you up every single time, you'd never quite learn how to stand up on your own two feet. And I think that with him, I remember seriously, my mom would like cry because she would watch how he would talk to me and just destroy me. And she was like, you're not going back to practice. You're not training with him. He's a horrible person. I was like, ma, it's not about a horrible person. He's a good coach. Like he knows what he's talking about. Mm. He's not a good person, but it doesn't matter. He gets the job done. And we travel to the best tournaments in the world and we're seen by the best coaches. I, I'll just keep going. And I remember having that internal dialogue of like, is this going to destroy me as a person? Cause this guy is trash and it's so not my speed. I'm all about the humanness and fun and mm-hmm. making it a good time. So it was a really interesting, it definitely, definitely taught me grit. It taught me to show up like a beast. And I just think people need more of that. Like we don't have enough of that. Certainly in our cushy, like, comfortable us world of just like everything's gonna be okay like you get a ribbon for 19th place screw that like pick your ass up and get better and do it better next year you dumbass you didn't work hard enough which goes into my college story and we'll talk about that yeah i think you need both to be honest the more i'm hearing you talk about it and my own experience because without any struggle tangible skills don't actually like 
neurologically click and stay there and become a, you don't grow, you don't evolve. You need that struggle to, yeah. to do that. You need that stress. It's just a matter of like balancing how much stress versus too much stress. And I'm, yeah, and we're, we're Corey, we're be- we're beings of pain and pleasure, right? Our yeah. brains are constantly searching for pleasure and running from pain. That's how we do it. And if we can withstand more pain, then we start to grow like this kind of beast external mentality where it's like nothing can hurt me. I'll take more risk. I'll try more things. I'll do more. Even watching you in this past year, like you've had to hit some road bumps. And because of the road road bumps, you're now willing to risk like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to go for the podcast. What's the worst that could happen? Right. Mm -hmm. But because I think what happens to people so many times is we're looking for the softest, most pleasurable way out of things. And truthfully, if you could just withstand that one go round of it being horrible, like I did with this guy for a few years, the other side of it is something amazing because you're going to be able to take on so much more risk. You're going to live with way less fear because you already went through it. You know how to handle something at that degree, which is kind of what happened when I went to college because I dealt with this guy. The the college scenario made my experience. Well, we'll talk about that. So yeah, it played a huge role. Perfect segue. Let's, let's talk about your actual college playing experience because it wasn't, it wasn't four years. You were a starter and, all butterflies and rainbows, there was some still struggle along the way. If you want to shed some light there and what was that like going through it in that moment? Yeah. I mean, truthfully, it was, it was kind of a nightmare. Like I had worked my entire life to play pro soccer. That was my goal. But first I I promised my parents I'd get a degree and I wanted to get a full scholarship to a D one school, kill it. Like, you know, I'm thinking Wake Forest, Duke, Virginia, like I'm thinking all these top level schools at that time. And none of that was biting because, you know, it's just like I just wasn't good enough to play at those schools. Mm. Or maybe I was, but I definitely wasn't being seen and I didn't have the clout to do so. And then there were a couple like fairly quality D1s that were reaching out and then a bunch of D3s that I wasn't paying attention to and then a bunch of D2s, some of which I was having conversation with. The only Division three that like called me a thousand times was the University of Scranton. And they like saw me, they came and watched a full game of mine, which rarely never happens at these type of events. And then they came to another one and they called me again. And I was like, no, I'm like, I'm, I'm good. But as I started learning about what I wanted to do with my life, I wanted to be a physical therapist at the time. I had studied that in interned in high school with a physical therapist. So I was like, all right, Scranton actually has one of the top DPT programs in the country. Let me go that route. And I called Scranton the day of decision day. And I was like, I know it sounds crazy, but I think I'm going to come there as long as you guys can help out financially. And they don't give athletic scholarships. It's mm. got to be academic, which I, I couldn't really make it into Scranton off of my academics. I wasn't the brightest bulb in the shed. So he was able to kind of, he was super surprised and was like, yeah, like we'd love to have you. I came and visited the school and whatever. And uh, they got me some money and I went. And in my understanding, I think people get confused about, I mean, I don't know. Were you, are you an only child? I have a younger brother. Younger brother. Okay. So my, I was the oldest athlete in my family to like play college ball. So we didn't understand the process. Like we really didn't get what it's like to be recruited. And I learned really fast that when you're a division three athlete, you don't sign a paper saying you're on the team. 
you just kind of like shake a hand, right? And then you show up there and you technically have to try out. Mm. I'm like, try out. I've been trying out for 20 years, like 18 years at this point. Like I'm not, I'm not trying out, but I, I mean, obviously I was there to like do the training, the week of training and run the fitness test and whatever. But I thought I was in. I really did. And then, <laughs> and then at the end of the week, the list comes up and he's like, yeah, we're going to put the list of names who made the team. I'm like, what do you mean made the team? Like, am I not? Like, I'm going to make the team. I, he called me here. He kept coming to my games, whatever. I wasn't on the list. And I was like, I remember the feeling core of like seeing that thing. And, and I, I read, you know, when you like can't believe something's happening. So you do it again to like make sure that that thing just happened. I read the list on his door and then I stopped and I read it again. And then I, wa- I was like, hold on. And I, w- I remember walking out the room and walking back in the room and just reading it one more time and being like, yo, my name's on. I was like, this is crazy. And I said, coach, like, what's good? My name, did you mess up? My name's on the list. He's like, yeah, man, next year. And I was like, what do you mean next year? Like what? And it was my entire life really crumbling before my eyes. As a student athlete, you get this. When you put that much time and attention into it, your whole life is that. And then you show up and somebody tells you no and everything you worked for crumbles. It literally feels like your life is ending because that's all I ever wanted to do. That's all I ever worked for. It was my like literally my sole intention in life was to play soccer. And I just got told, no, I could not believe what was happening. It was terrifying. So that was a wicked smack in the face. Like crazy. That whole experience humbled me so much. I never worked harder in my life than my freshman year of college because I, I was kicked off the team. And what I did was I just went and trained. I got security called on me a million times for kicking the ball against the dorm room walls. I would go to the field and just like train on the side of the field while the team was practicing. I would be there before they got there. I would show up after just to be in the coach's face so he could just smell me. I just wanted him to, I wanted to be so close to his face that he remembered what I smelled like. And I hated him and I couldn't stand him. But I was like, he will have me back on the team and I'm going to be the leading goal scorer. Like I was so angry that next year. Called, got re- like, okay, tryouts coming along again. Here we go. And I call him and I said, coach, I'm ready to rock. Or I emailed him. He's like, I'm sorry. I haven't heard from you in the off season. You're not invited back to tryouts. Sophomore year now, I was training my face off so that I could show up and be a beast. And he said, I haven't heard from you. I was like, bro, what do you mean? Did you want me to call you for Christmas dinner? Like hear from me? I don't want to talk to you. You ruined my life. That was the feeling. So all this adversity core came on the, like after having this horrific coach, then coming in when you're in high school and you think you're the man and you're the captain. And then somebody tells you no again, I was like, all right, I'm going to do the right thing and show up and be the guy I'm supposed to be. And then I get to the spot and I'm the guy I'm supposed to be. And then again, I'm told no, it blew my mind. So then that was at the point where like, I think any normal person would just like transfer and go somewhere else if you want to play. <laughs> I put, my mom said to me, she said this to me after the freshman cut. I called her and I remember I couldn't even speak. I was like, I was just broken down crying so hard. And I, I didn't even know what to say to her. And I said, I got to transfer. I got to get out of here. I was so angry. And she said to me, and I'll never forget this. She said, if you're leaving because you think it's the right thing to do, for your life and for what you want, me and dad support you. But if you're leaving because someone told you no, we're not standing by that. And that shifted 
everything for me. Work life now, how I showed up then, what I did for the next two years, it changed the game. Because what, what she told me in that moment, and if you listen to this and, and that you felt something there, listen to this. What she told me in that moment was that you're going to get no's and there are going to be things that don't work out and whatever. And if it feels like the right thing to do is to make a different move or to, to shift out of that thing and go to the next thing, great, so be it. But if you're giving up because someone told you you're not good enough or, or someone said no to you, that's where it's not okay. And that kind of blew my mind. I'm talking a lot. So I don't know. You just cut me off at any time. I'm just soaking it all in (laughs) and laughing because there's, and I don't mean this in like a harsh way. Like there's so many similarities between your story and my story. It's beautiful. It truly is like really to the core of like, I interned in a PT clinic my senior year of high school because I wanted to go to PT school at university of Delaware. Like that was the original plan. And then my whole heart thing of being told no, and I get it. I totally get it. And it's a shitty feeling for like a lack of a better term. But I think, I mean, knowing you now on the other side, are you grateful for it? Because it sounds like you are. And dude, it's literally the person you are without those experiences. Absolutely. So to finish that up, that sophomore year after he told me no, when my, like my mom's voice came back into my head and I was like, Am I leaving because it's what's right for me or am I leaving because this guy, this little twerp, five foot three dude is telling me no. And I said, I'm leaving because he's telling me no. And that's not okay. I'm not leaving for that. So when I tell you, Corey, I was all over this guy. He heard from me all day long. I was there in his office. He would close the door and lock the door because I was so annoying. Sophomore, second semester, they have like, Spring season, which I didn't know about. I just didn't know about. I was not, I didn't learn any of this. I didn't have an older sibling who did it. Nobody told me. They didn't clarify that there's, Hey, if you want to play in the next fall, you have to come see us in spring. I just trained on my own. So that sophomore year, I said, coach, I will be here spring season. Please tell me the date typed every week. Like, Hey, Hey coach, what's up? Nick Pags checking in. Like when's, when spring season start that spring season, he can't like deny it because it's not a real season. He was like, all right, fine. Come through. And I went and I, murdered it. I was the leading goal scorer. I was starting. I was really killing it, but he still had like this kind of negative energy towards me. Junior year, I made it on the team. Our team was kind of shit. Like we had never really done well. Mm. That year, our team made it to the elite eight in the country. We're number eight in the country. It is not because of me. I didn't score a ton of goals. I had some really clutch like game winning experiences, but I wasn't like starting a ton. He's still like he had younger kids starting over me and everything, but what I did do and I know I did and I'm so confident about is that the energy and the vibe of that team was wildly different because I was on it. There was a level of integrity and intensity that didn't exist before that existed when I showed up on that team because I had to work harder than anybody out there to be standing on, to, to be sitting on the bench. I had to work harder every single time, like every single time something was off, he would totally like point his finger at me and notice it. But then, you know, the superstars of the team, his little guys that he's loved since freshman year, they could do anything wrong. And like, it wasn't a problem because he loved them. Right. So I had to deal with more adversity than most people. I brought a different energy. I went and shook his hand every day. I said, coach, thanks so much for the opportunity. Every single practice, every single game, I was the guy picking the balls up, acting like the little freshman as a junior. 
I was the guy inviting the freshmen in and being like, those were my closest friends on the team mm-hmm. that year's freshmen, right? Because I was tighter with them than my guys at my age who kind of alienated me after freshman year. It was just such a bad energy and a bad vibe that I just wasn't, I was like, listen, if I'm going to fight this hard to be on this team, I'm not going to make this experience shitty. I'm going to make the experience different. And I showed up and made it different. And we made it to the elite eight in the country. We lost to the champions Messiah at the end of the, at the round eight of the tournament. The, and, and it was a complete thrashing because of how quality that team was, but we were really freaking good and we killed it. And I think because of all that, I learned so much how to deal with adversity, how to show up, how to not take no for an answer. And it has completely changed my life, the work I do, how I show up in the world. I am so grateful for that man. I don't like him, but I'm grateful for him. So much so, I mean, you heard about the whole story recently of like how I'm working with them now. It's crazy, the full circle. So I was about to say, we got to bring it full circle for the people because... (laughs) It's so funny how after the fact now it's really validating, but I don't think you did it with that intent. You just did it because that's who you are. You are someone that shows up in a room and raises that vibration. You are a key component to the culture of a team, of a room, of a job, whatever it may be. And it's so validating to see like it come full circle. And it's so sweet how he's, now, for those of you listening in, like Nick, you're working with them, right? To yeah. some capacity, yeah. right? Yeah, it's crazy. I, I never, obviously never had any intention of doing that. Didn't even think that mindset work was a thing, honestly, at that point in my life. I just wanted to play soccer. And then I ended and I had the opportunity to do grad school and whatever and stay there. And I was like, I did my stuff. Like, I don't want to be around this guy anymore. I don't want to keep fighting for this. Like, I got my two years in. I had a great time. Let's leave it. It was a goodbye that I thought would never show up anywhere ever again. Like I never thought there would be a relationship there. Uh, He reached out to me a couple months ago at the end of 2019 and was like, hey, man, with COVID and everything, our team is really struggling. They can't play. They're, They're just mentally out of it with the work you've been doing. We would love to have you come in and speak to the team. And I was like, absolutely totally for free. Again, the mentality of just showing up and doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do, not because you need a bill for it or because somebody like wants to give you a cookie for it just because it's the right thing to do. I was like, yep, I'll see you there. And I did a free speaking engagement for the school, for the team. And uh, at the end of it, he called me. and was like, this is the team wants to do more of this. We need more of this. We don't have this on our team. Is there any way we can hire you to be our team mindset coach? And I'm like, wait a I remember like putting my hand, like slamming my hands on the table. I'm like, you got to be kidding me right now. 10 years later, Cor, 10 years later, after being told no, I get a phone call with a request for that same dude to pay me thousands of dollars to be the mindset coach for the university. How? How does that happen? I consistently believe that if you show up in a way that is honorable and in integrity with the person you want to be, even when it doesn't look like it's helping in that moment, five, six, 10 years down the road, you may find that pouring back in tenfold. Like, would I have wanted to be on the team in freshman year? Sure. But n- I would never take it back how it happened because now I have a grit and a tenacity that most people don't have. And I have this ridiculous opportunity now to have a college team that I work on mindset coaching with 
And I know what it feels like to be them under the wrath of this dude who's not a great person coach. Like he doesn't work with people well. So he knows that and he hired somebody to do it. It just happened to be the guy that he always trashed when he was there. So it's an amazing full circle story. Like I'm just so proud of like truly proud of it. You probably hear it in my voice. I'm super proud of it because Mm. showing up the right way, doing the right thing. I love when it comes full circle and shows up for you. And I think it always does. It's just a matter of when is it? If you're, if the intent is truly there, one of, I actually haven't shared this book with you because I share a bajillion books with you, but um, the subtle art of persuasion is, I believe a guy named Sam Harris. It's 11 habits of master influencers in this world. It's got, he was a head of the ad agency at McKinsey in New York. And one of the 11 habits really is genuine intention and, showing up and putting something forward with no expectation of anything in return. And I, I hear that with your story, I'm starting to live it myself. I'm starting to see it around my life. And it's really what I hope people to take away from your story is just show up and do the work with no expectation of anything in return. And if you do that, the penthouse in Sao Paulo will come. The yeah, boy. Engagements will come like, <laughs> All this stuff will come tenfold. You just have to keep pouring yourself out there with no expectation of anything in return and it will be noticed. Yep. I couldn't agree more. And I think that it's, there's so many people right now likely saying to your little speech there, that was freaking phenomenal. There's so many people that'll say like, yeah, easy for you to say dot, dot, dot for all the reasons, <laughs> right? Cause you're the white male in America because you've had it easy because things just come to you. You don't know what I've been through. I'm with you. I hear you. I'm not judging anybody's story, but when you come from the space of doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do and you truly believe that there is opportunity from that thing, just being a good person, there's opportunity coming back around for you. It is amazing how it shows up. And it does, like you said, I believe always shows up. It's just, are you willing to see it? So here's the thing. He could have called me and I could have been like, fuck you, dude. And that would have felt great. It would have felt great. I could have been like, dude, don't talk to me. Don't call me. Like you ruined my life for two years. I don't need you. I don't need your trash money. I'm not coming to talk to you. You figure it out. You talk to your guys since you're so good at being a coach. I could have played that angry role and I would have missed out on the opportunity for my payout from all the stuff I went through. It's not just crossing your fingers and saying this stuff is going to pour into my life. It's trusting that you showing up is enough. You showing up as a good person, doing the right thing, living in integrity, being disciplined honoring your commitment and your word, that has to be enough for you. And when that's enough, you then open the door to possibility of amazing things coming. So because doing the right thing when he called was, yes, I'll come speak to your school for free. No problem. No problem, coach. I'll continue to be an upstanding human and a good man to you, even though you failed to do that for me. I will do that because that's the right thing to do. That ended up being thousands of dollars in my bank account later, but I didn't know that was going to happen. I didn't know. So my, my challenge for you, if you're listening to this and you're, and you're skeptical is do the right thing and, and don't, don't say, okay, I'll do the right thing as long as no, 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 do the right thing. Be a good person, show up even when nobody's going to see the way you're showing up and you will be amazed 
years later on how it, if you're open to it, how it will come pouring back into your life, but you must be willing for it to not. And this is the big one we talked about this week. And on my Instagram, I was talking about it. It might not look like you thought it was going to look. That's the thing. It might not look like you thought it was going to look when I was being a good person sophomore year. I thought it was going to mean I was going to be captain senior year. No, no, no. What it meant was 10 years later, you're going to get a fat paycheck from the school. Be patient, dog. That's what it means to be a good person. So it might not look like you want it to. Yeah. And I'm just hearing it in knowing you and knowing your personality. It really says a lot about you that you are able to shift your reality to the space of, yeah, of course, I'll come talk to you guys. Absolutely. Because like you said, it's so easy to just go that other route. And I think a lot of people out there choose that other route. But if people truly want something to change and they don't want the same past to keep repeating over and over again, they're going to have to shift in, make that shift that you just mentioned, which I think segues perfectly to your current line of work as this mindset coach in particular. Talk us through what does the average work look like? I mean, I know what it looks like, but it's because I've been through it with you. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's such an interesting question because I don't know. It changes all the time. <laughs> but the best I can give is that uh, I do private mindset coaching. I call it mindset coaching because I haven't come up with a better name for it over the past two to three, four years, whatever it is. It, it started in the fitness industry. I've been in the fitness industry for 11 years. As a instructor, I was doing a lot of like mindset coaching that I didn't know I was doing. I was reading a lot of books, watching a lot of videos, studying human habits, change and forming. I'm a certified behavioral change specialist. So I was focusing my training on behavior change and mental strategy. And people were showing up to classes because they wanted that piece of it. They were just like the treadmill was getting in the way of the mindset work they wanted Mm. to do. Right. And then eventually people were asking me to come speak here, come talk to our team, come work, like come to the hospital and speak to the staff and whatever. And I was like, okay, these treadmills are are truly like bothering me. I just want to focus on the mindset of it. So I stepped into just this mindset work and I started by getting a little group of eight people for a program called master my mind. And we really focused on like understanding what mindset work is. And I was learning it as I was telling them stuff. And it was really interesting. It was fine. I I started to get a gist of it. And then I started to do one-on-one coaching. My first client actually was a professional basketball player in France who's from Jersey. He was playing Mm -hmm. over in France. And I said, dude, this is kind of a beta test. Like, I don't, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I'm going to give you a rate that I think is fair for my time. And it's like a beta rate. Are you cool with this? And he was like, absolutely. This is a pro athlete. It was kind of a weird scenario to have a pro athlete as your first client. But he was struggling with life off the court. Mm. And, and it was awesome. And simultaneously, I was working with my, my very good friend. Has a, she was a fitness professional turned entrepreneur who built out a program called Empower You, Jess Glazer. And her program is all about helping fit pros go from burnout to building powerful online businesses and not just fit pros anymore. It's expanded. She ended up hiring me to work on mindset with entrepreneurs because I had been an entrepreneur for so long. And she's like, you just know how to inspire people. Can you just come try it? And she called me a mindset coach. And I was like, okay, cool. And that's really where I felt like I got my first, like kind of digging my feet in the sand with it. Mm. And now I, I have lots of private clients that I work with, high level CEOs, doctors, the average Joe, it's a really terrible term, but you know what I mean? Just like moms, 
kids, friends, like it's like, it's a ton of people from all over. There's no like specific style of person I work with. I do like people who want to perform at a high level. That's the people I like to work with. And then I started a group program called Project Limitless, which Corey knows about because he's been in it. And that's where we met, or I guess kind of, that's how, <laughs> that's how you got into the work with me to some extent. I was about to say we met because I mean, again, going back to your personality and how you show up without expectation. I just shot, guys, I just shot Nick a DM after he did a presentation. I said, Hey, I loved your speech. We'd love to connect with you. And you so graciously hopped on an hour long call with me. This was like start of the pandemic. I had no idea what the hell I was doing with my life. Like the country club I was working at the time shut down. And I was like, dude, I just met you, but this is what I want to do. And you were the first person that I shared that with that was like, bro, do it. And I was like, wait, what? You're giving me permission? Like everyone else I tell this to, they're like, that's a terrible idea. Don't do it. Like, how how are you going to do it? And you were just like, that sounds great. Like, let's let's get the ball rolling. (laughs) And I was like, oh my God, did I just like, how much do I owe this guy for his time? And you were like, don't worry about it. And then, you know, months later when you're like, hey, I have this thing. I was like, no brainer. All my money. Take it. We're going for it. (laughs) (laughs) Take my money. And dude, and that's what we're talking about with being a good person and doing the right thing. That's, that's the soccer thing Mm. showing up in my regular life. I didn't even know. I don't even think I had Project Limitless as a thing in my life at that point. It wasn't about getting on a call with you to, to try and convince you to work with me or anything. I think what I learned pretty early and I was grateful for at a young age was like, I really know how to impact people and get them to bet on themselves and show up. Not just like, yeah, you know, quitting your job and losing all your money and go sell it. Like moving across the country is a great idea. That's not necessarily what I'm talking about, right? It's, <laughs> it's what it turned into for you. But what my intention was with our phone call was to ask you the questions that people just don't ask themselves because they're scared to really ask it and answer it. And that's what my work is. I'm not a guru. I don't know more than Corey. I don't like I'm a, yes, I've been a mentor for Corey, but I don't know more than him. I'm his coach. And I ask tons of questions that challenge him to challenge himself. Because so many times, think about it, listening to this right now, how many times have you told yourself some BS to just get by for the day? We're like, no, I'll just stay in this job because it's safe or secure. I'm just going to, you know, I'm not going to say anything to him because I don't want to whatever, like, mess up the energy of the room or whatever. We just don't take action on things because we're scared of what might happen on the other side of it. And that was the call with Corey is like, I just want more people in the world who are willing to take action on their dreams because those type of people change the world. If there is a guy like Corey and my kid is an athlete and is struggling with mindset, I'm sending them to Corey. And had Corey never bet on himself, I wouldn't have somebody to send him to in my corner. But now I got somebody that I know is is a wise, dope professional who's going to be able to serve so many people. That's serving me and that's serving the planet. So like, yeah, an hour of my time, do I charge a lot for an hour of my time? Absolutely. I deserve the right to charge a lot after the years of work that I've been putting in. With that said, when I choose that I want to do shit for free for the right people, I call, I'm like, he he texted me right after the event or DM me. I was like, you busy right now? What was that? Two minutes after the call we got on? Something it like was that. crazy. I mean, I look back on it and I thought, I thought I was going to be literally sitting down for like coffee with like, a, I don't want to say a normal, like 
I thought it was going to be a networking call of like, yo, what do you do? Like, this is what I do. Like, how can we help one another? And you just started hitting me with all these hard hitting questions right off the bat. And I was like, whoa, never thought of it like that. I've never asked myself that. And it's truly a gift that you have. I know you said you're, you don't know more than me. You definitely did at that moment in time. I think what's truly a good sign though of any coach is the ability to one, be humble, but two, still understand that we're all learning. We're all evolving. We're still, there's still things that we don't know, even in our roles here. I want to touch on really quick, your transition out of, out of soccer. Do you think that that two year kind of period where there was this uncertainty of whether you would play or not play for the team really actually helped you with shedding that identity of I am Nick Pags, the soccer player and shift into like a, I am Nick Pags, the badass mindset coach and this all encompassing person instead of just narrowing down to one identity. Yeah, I think that in terms of identity, like all I ever knew was soccer. And I think that sport is a really dangerous thing. I mean, it's, mm. it's an amazing thing, but it's dangerous when you get to the level that we're at, right? Like when you're playing college and I was, I had gone over to Uruguay to, to meet a friend up who was living there and he was playing on a pro team and I trained with that pro team and they offered me a contract there when I was a sophomore before I made the team in Scranton. I remember like damn, I could go overseas and play. Like I could be a pro. I can make my dream come true. But the cool thing about dreams is every day they have the opportunity to change and mold. And I think when it comes to identity as an athlete, when you're going through that stage of like, that's all I ever knew myself to be, then the scary part is when you don't allow yourself to be something different. Mm. And I think that at that point for the first time, like it took me probably five to seven years, seriously, to like release the guilt around not playing all four years and not making it pro and not being as successful as I wanted it really took me like seven years to like break that down. But in that moment, I remember saying like, bro, are you just going to try and be that guy who like tried to play pro for eight years? And you just like, I, I think in my gut, I knew I was ready to be done chasing that dream. And I was ready to be phenomenal and tap into the real depths of my amazingness in another realm. And I was getting ready to go to grad school and was still thinking of playing. And I was interning or I'd now gotten a job at the gym where that physical therapy department was, Mm -hmm. which is two minutes from my parents' house. And I was waking up at four in the morning, working all morning and then training people in the afternoon. And I was like literally doing the 4am to 9, 10, 11pm every single day. And I started to fall in love with that. And yes, working with athletics and getting people moving and being a trainer was sick. But it was more like I was making money. I was feeling like I was impacting people. I was serving. I was showing up so powerfully in the world at the age of 22, 21. I was like, you know what? This is, this is what's calling me right now. I think the soccer thing just became more of an ego experience than it was an experience of fulfilling dreams at that point. It was like, I just wanted to be right about the fact that I'm supposed to be a pro. And when I released that, bro, it was like taking the weight of the world off my shoulders and being like, yo, you are worthy of being amazing at something other than soccer. 
you're worthy of having the life of your dreams. And it might not be a pro soccer player who's waving in the stands during the national anthem, like waving to people and and signing jerseys. You might be doing something even bigger. And I had to release that egoic need to have that dream fulfilled in order to step into the next chapter of my life. I just want to take a moment to take that in. I hope everyone listening in runs that back like 17 times because what you just said there is so, so powerful. I love your word choice too. It's not like you gave up on your dreams by any stretch of the imagination. You just released the need for it to look that way. Yeah, that's what huge. You, what you did by doing that created space for what you're doing now, which is by no means probably the final answer either. It can still shift, but it's you're in a season of your life right now where like what you're doing is perfect for this moment. And then who knows, 10 years from now, it could be looking totally different. I don't know the answer to that. I don't even think you know the answer to that. Yeah, (laughs) I definitely don't. I 100% don't. And what's interesting too, because you have an athlete community, I would assume that listens to this podcast, a lot of people go through that identity crisis of like, Mm. what do I do now? I'm not the athlete I thought I was always going to be. You hit that point always, right? Where you have to, you have to stop your body gives out, or it's just like, there's nowhere else to go with it. I think being okay with or understanding and, and we have to, this happens all over life. And it's happening like, honestly, weekly for me now, is that your ego hangs on to how things are supposed to be. It's not how things are supposed to be. Can you detach from the need to be right about it or the need to look for, for it to look a certain way in order for you to, to full jump into that next chapter? Because if you're, if you're jumping in with one foot in the door of the other room, how effective is your jump going to be? You know what I'm saying? So like, if you're like, say goodbye, be okay, drop it and move forward. Yeah. I use the example all the time. Like if you're going to go for a broad jump or a vertical jump, if any part of you is not fully committed to making that leap, it's going to be significantly less of an impactful leap. You're not going to hit the distance that you want. And I love that analogy for the sports world because they get it. We've all jumped. We've all run. Like we all have done the movement stuff. But that abstractly applies to life as a whole here. I want to be respectful of your time. I want to end with the fast five. So we got five quick questions, one word answer or one sentence answer to these five questions. And then we'll let everyone know where they can find the the lovely working or lovely coaching that you do through PL. Perfect. Cause I'm at 5% battery. So this is perfect. Five questions, 5% battery. Let's go. Percent for each question. Here we go. Number one, what is your go-to podcast that no one's heard of? Damn. I was going to say athletic mindset <laughs> that no one's that heard of. Okay. One sentence answer. I don't listen to as many podcasts as I should. I have my own and I don't listen to as many as I should. And I listen to YouTube videos more than anything. Mm-hmm. ironically about like mindset and inspiration plug your podcast let's go l-e-s-s-g-o-o that's the name of the podcast because at the end of it you should be like let's go i feel amazing so come here more of it please spelled exactly as you'll feel <laughs> yes <laughs> number two favorite book that you've read in the past year i'm gonna say a new earth eckhart tolle i don't know if i read that in the past year it's probably longer but whatever. It's a great book. It's a freaking phenomenal book. None of us would have known if you didn't say that. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> Quote you live by. 
if you're not first, you're last. No, I'm just kidding. That's not my quote. (laughs) (laughs) It's my favorite quote, though. My favorite quote. I don't know if I have one, Corey. This is a tough one. I Dr. Eric Thomas always says this, and I love it. You'll get what you're willing to grind for. So simple, but it's so true. Like if you're willing to put in the work, you'll get it back. It's kind of a lame one, but there you go. So I say fast five doesn't mean like they're not thought provoking questions. They're tough. <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling pressure. I'm sweating a little bit. Uh, one thing, <laughs> one thing you can't live without connection with people. Like I literally can't live without connecting with people. So thank you, Zoom, for sponsoring my life right now. <laughs> Appreciate it. Literally. What is your one word focus at this point in time? Students. This past year has been so much coaching, so much teaching, so much mentorship, mentoring. And I am so ready to be a student, so much so that I moved across the world to Brazil from New York last week to live with my girlfriend, to learn a new language, to be in a new place in the middle of a world pandemic and be okay with all the craziness that that brings I'm just going to be a student and be super vulnerable and learning new things because I'm sick and tired of thinking I'm the teacher all the time. I'm not. I'm, I get to play some more student. So that's we're always a student. We're always an athlete. I would argue as well, Nick. I appreciate the time, man. I say it time and time again to you, but I want to just acknowledge you for how you show up, the energy you bring, and really the impact that you're making in this world. I am an honor to have felt it. Where can these guys keep up with you, find more of you, learn more about Project Limitless and what the work that you do there? Yeah, man. Thank you so much. I'm honored to know you as well and to call you a brother. I am on Instagram at Nick Pagsfit, N-I-C-K-P-A-G-S-F-I-T. Until the real Nick Pags, whoever this guy is with 200 followers, gives his freaking Instagram name up. That's my Instagram name. And I am on my podcast at Let's Go, L-E-S-S-G-O-O. And that'll be kind of revamped very soon. Project Limitless. You can get all that information in the link in my bio on my Instagram, which is where I'm most present. And you can apply for it. We start February 21st of 2021. And it's an eight-week freaking wild ride that I would invite any of you who felt any type of like little tingling in your heart or your hair stood up on your arms at some point, or you felt fired up or inspired by any of this conversation between the two of us, I would invite you to just apply so that you and I can talk about if it's a right play for you. It might not be for a lot of people. They're just not in the space to do that type of coaching. So that's cool. But if any of this vibes with you right now, or you feel like you need more of it in your life, just reach out. Let's chat. Just like Corey, you never know where it could turn to, man. It's crazy. All like it, letting go of all expectations, man. And when you do that, here we are. You want to sign us stuff. off in Portuguese? Have you learned that yet? <laughs> Absolutely not. I will say obrigado. Thank you. But that's about all I got. <laughs> no follow Portuguese. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to Nick's story. Each time I hear it, I learn something new. And I am amazed on just how similar our paths have been to get to this present moment. My biggest takeaway is you have permission to stay true to you, no matter what the situation is. The more consistently that you do that, the better your life will be. Share this episode with someone in your life who could benefit from stepping into their superpower and take a minute to rate and leave a review on iTunes as that helps us continue to grow ourselves here in the new year. Remember, if you can change your mindset and how you think, you can change your life one thought at a time. I'll see you all next week.